Welcome everybody to a weekly Torah podcast in memory of Mr. and Mrs. Herschel Ben David and Sima Devor Basicheskel Pasternak. Also, it should serve as a schus for all the hostages that are still in Gaza and as well as for the, for the soldiers that are fighting. This week's parasha is Parsha's Vayishlach. Torah tells us as Yaakov was on his way back to Eretz Yisrael, back to his father Yitzchak, Vayokam Balaylahu, he got up at night, Vikach Eshte Noshav Eshte Shivchosav, he took with him his two wives, his two concubines, and his eleven children, and he crossed the Yabok River. Now Rashi asks the question, at this point he already had twelve children, eleven sons, and a daughter, Dina. Benyamin was not yet born. Why does Torah only tell us he took his eleven sons? Why doesn't it say anything about Dina? So the Medrash answers, that Yaakov was concerned lest Esav lay eyes on Dina. Dina was quite beautiful. And therefore he hit her. He hit her on a box so that Esav shouldn't be able to lay eyes on Dina. Now, the Medrash tells us Yaakov was punished for this. Because Yaakov, because had Esav married Dina, there's a good possibility Dina may have had a, exerted a positive influence on him and caused him to do tshuva. Because Yaakov hit her from Esav, he didn't give up Esav his opportunity for tshuva. And therefore, he was punished by the abduction of Dina in Shechem. The commentaries all have a difficult time with this medrash. How is it possible that Yaakov can be faulted for hiding his daughter from Esav? It's true, it, maybe she would have had a positive influence on him, but it's just as possible, and perhaps even more probable, that Esav would have had a negative influence on her too. How could he be faulted for not wanting to give his daughter to a wicked man? So the Alta for Sabodka as a beautiful explanation, he says, indeed, Yaakov could not be faulted for hiding her, but the problem was that he locked the box, so to say. What that means to say is that certainly Yaakov did, acted correctly in keeping Dina from Esav, but he should have felt bad. He should have felt, I wish I could give it to my brother so she should have a positive influence on him. I'm concerned for her welfare. But at least yeah, he should have shown some kind of compassion for his brother. I feel bad that I can't do it. And because of that, he locked the, locked the box, so to say. He didn't seem to have that compassion. And that's the, why, that's the reason why he was faulted for this. There's a little bit reminiscent of a famous story they say about the Mishkiach of the Mir Yeshiva in Poland, Yabruchu Lavovitz. The one time Rabbi Shimon Schwab, who was from Germany, was a student in yeshiva. Before going home one time for Pesach, he asked of Yeruchim if he could borrow the money for the trip and he would pay him back when he came back after Pesach. Rabbi Yeruchim gave him the money. When he came back after Pesach, he returned the money to Rabbi Yeruchim and he said, thank you so much, it was so helpful. So Rabbi Yeruchim looked at Rabbi Shimon Schwab somewhat coldly and he says, aren't you familiar with the halacha? The halacha says when you return alone, you're not supposed to be effusive in your thanksgiving because that's a form of interest. You're giving back the loan, plus giving the person the good feelings of, 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 of thankfulness. A regular thank you might be acceptable, but to be effusive in the praise and thanksgiving is incorrect. So Shimon Schwab accepted the rebuke and took it to heart. The following year, the same thing happened again. Rav Schwab borrowed the money from Rebuchim before Pesach. After Pesach, he brought the money back. This time he returned the money without saying a word. Again, Rabbi Yochum looked at Shimon Schwab and told him, no appreciation? At this point, Shimon Schwab couldn't control himself and says, Rabbi, I don't understand. 
Last year, you told me I wasn't supposed to say thank you. This year, when I don't say thank you, you're telling me I should have said thank you. What am I supposed to do? So smiled at Shimon Schwab and told him, I was just trying to teach you something. Certainly the Allah dictates you may not be effusive in your praise and thanksgiving. That's true. But nevertheless, I should see in your face that you really want to say thank you so much. Do you feel the gratitude even though you can't express it? That I don't see. That's, that's what I was trying to tell you. That's the same thing here too. May, perhaps Yaakov was justified in not giving his daughter over to Esau, but it should have been with a heavy heart the fact that he was unable to do so, unable to do something that perhaps could bring his brother back to Tshuva. Perhaps we can accept and suggest another answer also to the question. We find when Shaul Amalek, the first king of the Jewish people, was instructed to wipe out Amalek, he was told to wipe out every single man, woman, child, even the animals. So Torah tells, the Navi tells us that Shaul indeed killed out most of Amalek, but he left the animals alive, and he also left the king, Agag, alive as well. Later on, Shmuel Navi came to him and asked him what happened. Shaul tried to justify himself. He said, I felt how I was able to kill the animals like that. They didn't do anything wrong at all. He said he tried even being a moister, his claim with an argument. We find in the Torah, the halach of Egla Rufa, that if a person was found murdered, the halach is that the entire city where he's found murdered has to bring an atonement. So we see how careful the Torah is about the life of a, of a single individual, how much more so should we be concerned about people, about animals that have not sinned at all. Shmuel Navi told Shah Malach that because he didn't obey the command, the kingdom will be taken away from him. Later, David and Melech would be, would, would be anointed as the king, the successor to Shaul, and Shaul was extremely jealous of David. And as such, he literally was on the warpath to try to kill him. And David became a fugitive. He had to run away. So Navi tells us they stopped off in Nov, the city of Tarquanim. Rachi Melech, the high, high priest, gave David assistance. He gave him food. He gave him weapons also. Achimelech wasn't even aware of the fact that Shaul was on the warpath with David, but he gave him things that he needed. Doeg Adomi, who was Shaul's right-hand man, his general, Doeg told, not his general, but he was Doeg was his advisor, Doeg informed Shaul that he had seen Achimelech help David. Shaul was so incensed that he went and he wiped out the entire city of the Novir Kohanim. After this, the posse tells us that, that he was, had it not been for the sin of Nov Irakwanim, he would not have been killed. It was because of that that Shaul's life came to an end, because he wiped all the Quanim and Nov. You could ask the question why was that Shaul and Melech was not, it was, it was not, the kingdom was not taken from, away from him immediately after he didn't obey the, obey the command to wipe out Amalek? Why did Hashem wait till after he killed out the city of the Quanim? So perhaps the answer could be, that Shaul had some kind of justification why he did what he did. He felt bad. How can I kill out the animals? You know, they didn't do anything wrong. He had compassion on the king, Agag, also for that matter. He felt, how am I able to do such a thing like that? You know, the Torah, we see the Torah is so concerned about even a single individual. So granted, perhaps it was the wrong type of a calculation to make, but there, there, there's something to be said about that. If he said if he was of his sensitive, safe, sensitive nature, maybe there could be something to be said. But later on, when he showed the heartlessness of wiping out the entire city of the Kohanim, that already shows that his initial compassion was misplaced. Obviously, if he was such a compassionate person, then he wouldn't have wiped out the entire city of the Kohanim 
unjustifiably. So from the fact that he killed out the Kohanim, that shows retroactively that he had no excuse in not wiping out the animals of Amalek as well. Indeed, the Medrash tells us over there that when Shaul had compassion on the animals, Hashem told him, quoted a Pusik in Kohelis, don't be overly righteous. And later on, when he wiped out the city of, of, wiped out the, city of the Kohanim, Kohanim, the heavenly voice came out and said, don't be overly wicked either for that matter. Because the overly, there, there's a connection between the two of them. Perhaps the same thing can be said about Yaakov as well also. Perhaps Yaakov was justified in hiding his daughter because he was concerned that if she would go out, perhaps Asa would lay eyes on her and then that there would not be a good end for, for Dina. So perhaps he would have been justified in doing that. But later on, the Torah tells us when they came to Shechem, Dina, Dina went out to go see the young women of Shechem. Why wasn't he concerned about Dina's welfare over there in Shechem? Why was he only concerned that Asa may lay eyes on her? Why wasn't he concerned that other people would lay eyes on her also? as it did indeed happen in Shechem, that the prince over there actually indeed went and abducted Dina. The fact that later on he was not concerned, was not concerned about Dina, showed that his initial concern also was not 100% consistent either. Had he been so concerned, he would have been more concerned later on when she came to, when she came to Shechem too. Perhaps with this we can answer another question also regarding a story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa as brought down in the Gemara and Gittin. The Gemara tells us that it was an account of a story of Kamsa Bar Kamsa that the base of English was destroyed. There was a very wealthy man in Yerushalayim that had made a, a feast and invited his friend Kamsa. The messenger made a mistake and actually accidentally invited Bar Kamsa instead of Kamsa. When the host came out and saw Bar Kamsa there, he was so upset he wanted to throw him out. See, Bar Kamsa was embarrassed. He said, please, I'll pay for anything that I eat. And the host says, no, I don't want you here. He said, I'll pay for half the whole feast. No, leave. I'll pay for the entire feast. Just don't embarrass me. The host says, no, I can't enjoy myself from here. And he throws him out bodily. When Bakamsa left, he said, the rabbis were there and they didn't say anything. When they saw how embarrassed I was, I'm going to take my revenge against the entire Jewish people. And did he went to Rome and informed to the Roman emperor that the Jewish people were trying to stage a rebellion against him. And that was the beginning of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. So the Gemara tells us that at the time, the king sent a, an animal back to Bar, with Barkamsa to see if the Jewish people would offer it. He wanted to test them, see if they really would try, to, would try and rebel against him. On the way, Barkamsa put a little blemish on the eye of the animal. The animal, when they brought the animal back to, when they brought the animal to the base of Middash, the Kohanim immediately saw the blemish. They weren't sure what to do. They saw that Barkamsa was trying to, trying to create a rebellion over here, trying to get them into trouble. They said, maybe we should offer the sacrifice even though it has a blemish. So, but Zechariah ben of Kulis, one of the great rabbis at the time, says, no, we can't do that. People might think that it's permissible to offer an animal that has a blemish on it. They said, okay, then maybe we should kill Bar Kamsa. So you can't do that either because people might think that it's, if a person puts a blemish in an animal, he's liable to death penalty, and that's not the case. So they had no choice but to tell Bar Kamsa that they could not offer it. Bar Kamsa came back to Yerushalayim, excuse me, back to Rome, rather, and he told the Roman emperor what had happened, that they didn't want to offer the animal, and the king was so upset, the king was so angry, that he actually, that he actually went to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. The Gemara concludes, it was because of the humility of Zechari ben Avkulis that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Here we have to understand, first, what was wrong with what Zechari ben Avkulis did? He was just relating the halacha. Why was he held accountable for that? And also, what does that have to do with Humility. 
Perhaps the explanation could be understood with another little piece of information that the Midrash informs us. The Midrash in Eicha tells us that Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulis was at the party with Kamsa Bar Kamsa, and he was the rabbi that did not stand up and protest when they saw when he saw that Bar Kamsa was embarrassed. The Midrash says Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulis was at the party with Bar Kamsa and Kamsa, and he was the one that saw that Bar Kamsa was embarrassed and he didn't protest at all. So that might be the case. Perhaps he might have had some justification. He didn't feel like standing up. He didn't feel like making a scene over there at the place. He was shy by nature, perhaps. That might have been a justification. But when it came later on to the base of Migdash, when he wanted to bring the animals, of there, Zechariah ben Akulis had no problem speaking up and saying, we can't offer it because people might think this. We can't kill him because people might think that. The fact that he spoke up afterwards showed that there was no justification for his not speaking up when he saw Bar Kamsa was embarrassed as well. And that's what Morris says, because of the humility, because of the quietness of Zakari bin of Kulos, that he didn't speak up at the dinner, at the banquet. That's why the base is ultimately destroyed later on. A person has to think carefully before taking any position to make sure that his actions don't contradict that position. Otherwise, he might be taken to task, even if the position that he says is actually the right position. But nevertheless, though, his actions show that, it, that it, it was not, that was not his intention. Have a great week, everybody, and Bez Hashem next week will be together again. Ever think about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today.